You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are really glad that you're here. So, uh, there was a lot of questions that came up last week after I told you the story about when I asked my wife out on our first date and how we met. And if you weren't here, I talked about how I was in a band and uh, a friend of mine had bought a new guitar. And so I went to his house to see the new guitar. My wife had gone to his house because the guy was throwing a party. So uh, we were both friends with this guy. We had never met, my wife and I had never met yet. And um, we had never been to this guy's house before and we've never been since. So it was a, it was a thing. So anyway, so he bought a new guitar and he wanted me to try it out. So I'm playing the guitar at this party and People are, a crowd begins to form, and this very pretty girl walks away and is not interested in my playing, and needless to say, I put the guitar down, and I sit down next to her to talk to her, and I introduce myself. Now, this is what people, the people were asking, like, well, what did you say to her when you met her? And I prefer to leave this part of the story out, because it doesn't really bode very well for me, because... Anyway, well, you'll find out now, so here we go. So I, I sit down next to her, and I say, hey, how, what's your name? My name's Kara. My name's Bob. It's really nice to meet you. And uh, so she says that she's in college. She's on a scholarship at FAU. And now, just FYI, I had just finished my fifth year of high school. And so uh, now, and the only reason that I graduated was because I was still failing two classes that I needed. And so I was failing a, a journalism class. And this girl that I used to date was in that class, and she spoke to the teacher on my behalf. It's like, listen, this is the only class Bob needs. You can't, you can't keep him back. You got you to gotta set him free. And so anyway, so she said, all right, she gave me a D and let me pass. And then that same day, because it went over so well, I talked to my art teacher, who I was also failing, and I'm like, listen, I'm, I need to pass this. You got you to gotta let me free. I need to be free, please. I have to leave here. And so anyway, she gives me a D. And I, anyway, so that's how I graduated high school. So, um, I, so we're talking, my wife and I, this girl I just met, we're talking about school. And I ask her if she likes it. I'm like, you know, do you like college? She's like, oh, I love it. I love school. love the classes that I'm taking. And then she says to me, she's like, are you in college? I said, oh, I'm, I'm, about, I'm just about to start college. I had some other things I needed to handle, that being finishing high school. So... <laughs> So I, she says, oh, wow, that's good. She says, do you like school? <laughs> do I like school? <laughs> and I said, I don't, you probably don't know this. I go to school more than anyone you know. <laughs> and uh, I said, and I just went on and on about my love and passion for school. And Carrie, when she tells the story, she's so taken back by this. And she says, she she says, wow, I, I just, I, I, I thought he was just some egotistical musician. I totally misjudged him. So this is what she's thinking at the moment. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to fast forward a little bit and tell you a little part of the, different part of the story. A few years later, I graduated from Bible college with almost a 4.0 GPA, and uh, I ended up running a college, and I'm currently in a Master's of Theology program and uh, that I'm doing right now. So pretty soon I will not be Pastor Bob. I will be Master Pastor Bob. So coming soon to a church near you. So anyway, 
Now, so, so I tell her I love school, and it's a total lie and, and whatever, but I just do anything for her to go out with me. And, uh, but, so, but when she tells a story, and she's telling our kids this not that long ago, she's like, yeah, Bob, our entire relationship was started based on your lies. And I told her, honey, that wasn't a lie. It was a prophecy. And there's a difference. There's a difference. So, I, I, but I don't know if you've ever done that. And I think all of us have at some point in time where we have changed something about ourselves to be more liked or accepted. I think everybody does that at some point in time. And what it does is, without even realizing it, it really robs us of our, our true identity, the person that God created us to be. And that's what blind conformity always does. It tries to clone us into an image different than the unique image that's given to us by God. Because whether you realize it or not, God created you uniquely in his image. And the challenge that we have is to maintain that originality and that uniqueness. And, and, and I, that might sound strange to some people because they think that Christianity is all about conforming and m- being a cookie cutter version of everybody else. And that's not really the case. God is most glorified in your life and in mine when we are unique and unified. That's why I love Calvary because Calvary is, we're so diverse and unique and it's, we're unified. And I think that, that that honors God. Calvary is one of these places where this little abuela will sit next to a guy just covered in tattoos that, you know what I mean? Which is great. Ex-cons will sit next to the cops that arrested them. And I just think that's great. And uh, PhDs will come listen to a guy who said that being a senior was the best two years of his life. So, but, uh, but today, what we're going to look at, we're going to look at someone who really was a true original. Someone who was raging against the machine long before the band ever did. And uh, his name is Yohanan the Immerser, or I'll tell you what we call him, John the Baptist. Now, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, if you aren't aware, John the Baptist was the son of Zechariah, who was a priest. And his mom was Elizabeth. Elizabeth was the cousin of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So John and Jesus are cousins. John is a little bit older. And John didn't want to follow in his father's footsteps. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit, which is a bit out of the ordinary. But he did something that was so important. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. He was the one letting people know that the Messiah was almost here. So the question then becomes, why does Matthew want to talk about John the Baptist in his gospel? And why is that important? In fact, if you go through the gospels, you see that they all mention John. Why is it so important? Because for Matthew in particular, it's all about proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So a couple weeks ago, we started a brand new series of teachings at Calvary that we're calling The Story as we're working our way through the gospel of Matthew. And we're calling it The Story because we firmly believe that if you will learn his story, it will change yours. And everyone wants to live a better story. We want today to be better than yesterday. We want the future to be better for ourselves and for those that we love. And Matthew's going to show us how that's possible through the life of Jesus. And Matthew's goal in his gospel is to prove to the Jewish audience that he's writing to that Jesus is the Messiah. And that, that's why he gives special emphasis to the fulfilled prophecies of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, especially the words of Jesus, like the Sermon on the Mount and the private discourse that he gives to his disciples in chapters 24 and 25. And this chapter that we're going to look at is, is no different because the very last prophecy of the Old Testament before the Old Testament closes 
is about the coming of the Messiah and who God would send first just prior to the coming of the Messiah. You'll see it up on the screen in uh, Malachi chapter 4. He says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of children to their parents. Now, we're going to literally see that happen when the events of the book of Revelation chapter 11 are revealed. But Matthew is going to show us that this speaks of John the Baptist and the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah. In fact, when Luke is writing his gospel, he has that prophecy from Malachi in his mind, and he shares what the angel Zechariah told, or what the angel said to Zechariah about the birth of his son. You'll see it in Luke chapter 1. He says, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John was a man who was preparing the way for the Messiah, and his presence would cause many to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But because the Messiah was coming, he wanted to get the hearts of the people ready, to get them right with God until Jesus showed up. And that's what he's actually doing when we first meet him. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 3. If you have your Bible, awesome. If you don't, then grab the notes or the Calvary app, or if you can see the screen from where you're sitting, then uh, you can see it from there. But we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region surrounding the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things we're going to look at in our time together. The first is this, is that baptism means that I'm turning from my old life. Now, a few questions should arise as we're reading this. And the first question is, why are people coming from everywhere to hear John? What, what's, what is he saying that's that's so revolutionary that makes people want to come see him, uh, to go hear him preach. Well, the first is, is that he was saying that the kingdom of God was near. Now, this is big news because God had not spoken in 400 years. Malachi was the final Old Testament prophet, and until John started preaching that the Messiah was coming, God had not uttered a word in four centuries. And the message was a simple one. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, our repent is a word that our culture doesn't like very much, but it is a beautiful phrase uh, that refers to changing your direction. It's a picture of a person that leaves the path that they're on that's going nowhere and gets on the path that God has for them that leads to where God ultimately wants them to go. In the Greek culture, the word is metanoia for repent, and it talks about changing your mind. In the Hebrew language, it's way more physical. It's the, it, the Hebrew word for repentance is teshuva, and it talks literally about moving yourself from one direction to another. And this is why people were being baptized. It was a symbol of cleansing and washing away the old life and beginning a new one. 
It was an invitation to the life that they were created to live. Now, here's the thing about the word baptism. The word baptism isn't really an English word. It's a transliteration. Now, we understand translation, but transliteration is when you take a word in one language and you just take it. And and so baptizo in the Greek language, we just transliterate it into baptism. Now, if you are Cuban or your family is Cuban, you should understand this uh, quite well. My wife was asking me the other night how to say the word cake in Spanish. And I said, cake. And she's like, are you sure that that's how you say cake? I'm like, un cake. And so, and she, and she said, I, I don't know that's, I'm like, trust me, that'll get you around. That, you know, that's going to work. And, uh, and I said, it's just like bleach, you know, it's cloro. And uh, I, it's actually decolorante, but nobody, nobody says that. So, but it, it's cloro. And if you need, if you're, if you have young kids and you need diapers, you tell them, I need pampip. And, uh, and so they're actually pañales, but nobody calls them that. Pampid is what, is what they say. And so anyway, and so, that, so now if you get that, you understand transliteration really well. But the word baptism, it means to be immersed, to be drenched, or it could mean to be drowned. But calling John, John the drowner makes him sound more like a serial killer. So we decided to go with Baptist because it, it, we just transliterated it. But Yohanan the immerser is what he was called. And he was immersing people in water. And uh, people were showing up to be immersed. They wanted to say goodbye to the old life that they were living and, and embrace the life that God had for them. And that's really the beauty of baptism. It's, it's going in the water and saying goodbye to the old person and coming up in the new life that Jesus is offering us. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, as he explains baptism, he says it this way. He says, Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were, ba- we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The best picture I've seen of this is when I was a young pastor, and uh, that was in 1900-something, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, we did this baptism. I was an associate pastor at the time, and we did this baptism uh, in, uh, at, at, it was Atlantic Boulevard in the Atlantic Ocean. So it was, it was uh, up in North Broward. And this guy comes up to be baptized, and a friend of mine and I were baptizing. There's a lot of people there that were being baptized. And the guy says, I'm giving up my old life, and that includes smoking. And he hands me a pack of cigarettes in the water. Now, I have no idea what I'm going to do with these things, so I just put them in my pocket. I'm like, all right, you know, I, I didn't want to just throw them out there, but um, so I just put them in my pocket. And people have asked me, they're like, you know, will I go to hell if I smoke? No, you'll just smell like you've been there. And um, so anyway, so he hands me the cigarettes. I put them in my pocket, and uh, we baptize them, and it's this wonderful moment. And then we baptize a whole bunch of other people. And then uh, we get done, and I change out of the clothes that are all wet from the baptism, and then I throw the, the, all those clothes in a duffel bag, and I get home. And uh, I get home, my wife's doing some laundry, and I said, hey, this is all the stuff from the baptism, if you don't mind throwing them in. And so she's, she's taken everything out, and she's put them in the washer, and then she takes the shorts that I was wearing, and, and she, she pulls out this wet pack of cigarettes. And she, she comes out, and she's like, um, Bob, is, is, is there something I don't know about? 
And, uh, and I'm like, no. And I told her the story. And then and we laughed over the whole thing and shared a smoke. And uh, <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't. And I need to say that because some people were born without a sense of humor. And uh, so, you know, maybe your background is German. And that's why you just you didn't have a sense of humor. So that's not an insult. That's a fact. That's just straight up. That's straight up. So anyway, but I'm going to get an email about that for sure. So wear a helmet. Uh, I'll be wearing one when I come into the office tomorrow. But baptism is the picture of saying goodbye to the old life. It's identifying with Jesus in his death and then coming up out of the water in, with, with a new life. And, and once again, baptism is part of what separates the followers of Jesus from the fans of Jesus. The fans of Jesus like hanging out with Jesus so they can feel good. The followers of Jesus obey him so that their lives can be transformed. And I want to tell you something. If you've never been baptized as an adult, maybe you came to know Jesus here at Calvary recently and, and you, you've thought about it. You're like, man, why are people being baptized? I was baptized as an infant. And, uh, but if, you've been, if you came to know Jesus recently, then baptism is your first order of business. If you are like me and you were baptized as an infant, I was baptized as an infant and that spoke of my parents' faith. When you decide as an adult to be baptized, that speaks of your faith. And, and, and what I love about baptism is that it's easy. I love that baptism, God isn't asking us to do something that's impossible or dangerous or life-threatening. It's so simple, and yet I think that that might be why the, the reason why sometimes we neglect it is because it's very easy to do, which in turn makes it very easy not to do. But let me tell you what happens when, and you see, you see people after the services when they, when they come up uh, out of the water and, and this place is just cheering for them, is because when you decide to get baptized, you are setting in motion a pattern of obedience to God in your life that leads to the life you've always wanted. Well, John is out there baptizing people. They want their lives to change and the group of people show up and John is not happy about it. Let me tell you what happens starting in verse seven. He says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And if you pause there and give me your attention, second thing I want to tell you, and that is that baptism means I'm internally changing. Everyone shows up to see John. Why? Because God hadn't spoken in 400 years and God is speaking now. The second reason is because of how he was dressed. In the previous verses that we read, we read that he was dressed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. Now, here's the thing that we have to understand is that we live in the West Western culture presents ideas in facts and figures. The Eastern culture is very different. The Eastern culture presents ideas in pictures and stories. So John didn't pick uh, camel's hair because the salesman told him that camel's hair was the new cotton. Instead, he picked it because he was speaking truth in a picture. 
that John's clothes should have reminded them of another wild prophet that they revered, a gentleman named Elijah. In fact, in 2 Kings, it tells us this. And the king asked them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? And they replied, there was a man with a garment of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And the king said, that was Elijah the Tishbite. The religious leaders go out to see John because they know the scriptures and someone dressed like Elijah means that the Messiah is coming. Here's the other reason why the religious leaders showed up is because John was the son of a priest and he rejected the priesthood to become a preacher and that's not the way things worked. John was from the tribe of Levi and all the way through from his generation all the way back through until the Levi himself, who was ordained as a priest by God through Moses and, and, and Aaron, or they were the descendants of, of Levi, um, they were priests. Their whole family was priests. His great-grandfather was a priest. His, his grandfather was a priest. His father was a priest. That was the order of things. And he rejected all of that because he believed that the priesthood had become corrupt. And we know that because John's message of repentance paralleled a community in the first century that believed those things. There were a group of people that were called the Essenes. Uh, if you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, they, these were many written, some preserved by uh, the Essene community. This group had rejected temple worship because they believed that the priesthood and the temple worship had been corrupted, and they retreated to the wilderness to an area that is known today as uh, Qumran in, in Israel. Now, we don't know for sure if John wasn't a scene, but he certainly held similar views with, to them, and that really bothered the religious leaders, in particular these Pharisees and Sadducees that showed up. Now, the Pharisees, and they show up all through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to get to know them very well, but they were a very strict sect of Judaism. There was only about 7,000 Pharisees, and the Pharisees were ones who thought the temple worship had been correct, uh, corrupted a generation before, and they separated themselves uh, for the purpose of studying the Torah and, and really knowing what God wanted. That's why the, the word Pharisee means separated ones. Now, I'm going to give you a full exposition on them in a future message. But the, for our purposes, we need to understand that they were very serious about the text uh, of the Bible, and they were very evangelistic, seeking to convert people to Judaism. Now, the thing that you have to understand about converting to Judaism, it's not like becoming a Christian. When you became a Christian, those of us that are, is that there was some moment where you decided to repent of your sins, you invited, and you prayed, you said, Jesus died for me. And you, you put your faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. And you started walking with him. It was, it, 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 was, it was powerful but simple. Converting to Judaism was very different. It was months, if not years, of study. There was testing. And lastly, you would be baptized in something that was called a mikvah, and then the men would be circumcised. Converts to Judaism would go into this pool that was called a mikvah in Hebrew. And this is where you would immerse yourself and be cleansed ceremonially. And then when you came out, you were Jewish and you were able to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. And it was the picture of someone dying to their old life and coming up in relationship with the God of Israel. And this is where we get baptism in the Christian sense is because uh, of what we see John the Baptist doing. The problem is, and this is why the religious leaders show up, John is baptizing Jewish people. That's not what you did. He was telling them to repent because the kingdom of God was at hand and that their Jewish heritage wasn't proof enough that they walked with God. 
So these, these people were saying, hey, we want to be baptized because we really want to know God. And this is what made the religious leaders very angry. Now, John does not open this conversation well if he's trying to make friends. Because they showed up, and you know how it is. When, when someone shows up at church, maybe you haven't seen them, or are like, hey, look at so-and-so. Hey, it's so good to see you. That's not how John lives his life. These guys show up, and instead of being like, hey, guys, I'm so glad you're here for the service, he says, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, let me tell you, let me translate that into first century Judaism. He, brood of vipers, calling someone a snake in first century Judaism, Jews at that time connected snakes and serpents with the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. So calling them brood of vipers is saying, hey, your dad is the devil. That's how he opens this conversation with them. And, and that's why he says, hey, child of Satan, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And, and once again, this is, this is just, you know, not a great way if you want to make friends and influence people. But, and they're bothered by it. And, 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 and his whole thing is he's preempting them. He's saying, don't even tell me that we're children of Abraham and that's all that we need because God is able to raise up children of Abraham from this stone. He says, instead, what you've got to do is you've got to get your heart right with God. But the problem is they were showing up because baptizing Jews was outrageous. It was unheard of. And then they show up and he's responding by saying, they're like, well, why are you doing this? And he's like, because there's one coming, the Messiah, and he called me to do this. And I want you to know, John didn't cite like, well, I have a permit from the city to be, you know, I have a permission slip. No, he didn't do that. He pointed to Jesus and his calling from God. And that's what gave him the boldness to do what God had called him to do. And the thing that I see so often is that so many of us, we lack boldness to do what God's called us to do because we don't know who we are in Christ and we have no idea how valued we are by God. And uh, about eight years ago or so, I, I came into the office on a Monday morning and I was dragging bad. I'd only gotten an hour of sleep the night before. No amount of coffee was going to fix this problem. Now, let me tell you what happened Sunday night. When my son was young, I mean, four, five, six, seven years old, when he woke up in the middle of the night, he wanted me, uh, not his mom. The girls, they could, they, they had no use for me. But, um, but, but Xander, he wanted me. So that, that night before, Sunday night, I had fallen asleep around 1130. And my son woke up at about midnight. And he was cold. And he's like, Dad, can I just sleep next to you? So I said, sure. He hops into bed with us and he falls asleep a few minutes later. Now, I don't know how your bed works, but my bed is built for two people. That's how mine works. And so now when there's three people, we have problems. And so I decide, you know what, I'm going to let the kids sleep and I'm just going to go out on the couch. So I go out, I go out to the couch and, um, you know, uh, I start watching something, and uh, sure enough, I'm about to fall asleep, and I see Xander standing over me. <laughs> Whoa! And, uh, and he's like, hey, where'd you go? And I'm like, oh, I, I just, I, okay. And, and he's like, yeah, where'd you go? I'm like, what, you're out here? Okay, well, make some room. And I'm like, oh, we're doing this? And so I'm like, I saw him move over, and then he falls asleep. He goes and gets on the couch next to me, and then he falls asleep. Now, that couch is built for one. And so he falls back asleep. So I put the covers on him. I go back to bed, which is where I wanted to be all along anyway. So I figure like, all right, it's a little inconvenient, but it's working out. But now I can't sleep. 
I've been, I've been doing this, this, this whole musical chair sleep thing. And so, so I grabbed my iPad, I put in my headphones, and I, I was, at the time, I was going through all the seasons of Doctor Who. So I'm watching Doctor Who. About an hour later, Xander shows up. And he walks by, and he's like, it's okay, Dad, I just have to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, thank the Lord for that. And so he goes to the bathroom, and then he comes out, and then he climbs back into bed with me. And I'm like, dude, your whole situation is out. Anyway, so... Uh, now it's about 4 a.m. and he's asleep. I still haven't been able to fall back to sleep. And I say, I have one last ditch effort. So I, I put, uh, leave him in bed. I go back onto the couch. I finish the episode of Dr. Who that I'm watching. I fall asleep at 5:20. at 6 a.m. My alarm goes off and I walk into the bedroom my son is sawing logs, and he doesn't have a care in the world. And so then I come in in the morning, and I'm, I'm, totally, I'm totally tired. So that night, I'm putting Xander to bed. And he says to me, Dad, I'm really sorry about last night, and I, I, I can't believe I kept you up. I'm never going to do that again. And I'm like, buddy, you're my son. If you need me, you come find me. I'm always going to be there when you need me. And he got so happy. He's like, oh, Dad, thanks for saying that. Uh, good night, but I guess we'll be talking in a little while. And <laughs> is that what I meant? And so, now, here's this, though, this is the point. Sometimes we forget. We forget whose child we are, that we are a child of the king, that God is our heavenly father, and there is nothing too hard for him. I, I love what Jeremiah chapter 33 says, Call to me and I will answer you. I'll show you great and mighty things, things you do not know. So maybe what we have to do is stop selling ourselves short. Stop believing things about ourselves that aren't true and realizing this, that you are loved by God, valued by God, treasured by God, and that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So don't settle. I mean, sometimes, listen, we settle and we know that we're settling. We settle and sometimes, ladies, let me tell you what we do is that we're waiting for God to bring that guy and maybe we think God's taking too long and we settle for a loser. And because we're like, well, you know, somebody's better than nobody. <laughs> that is uh, debatable. And, uh, but maybe what we need to do is wait on him and watch him work. Guys, same thing. And listen, for all of us, sometimes in our career, we're like, man, I want God to do something. And, and we just, we want it, we compromise to kind of get where it is that we want to go. And listen, instead... What if we waited on him because we know who we belong to? You know, uh, there was a handkerchief that sold at an auction. Now, a handkerchief costs about two bucks, right? Let's just say five bucks because we're going to get a real fancy one. A handkerchief costs two bucks, but this handkerchief uh, sold at an auction for over $300,000 because it, was, it belonged to Elvis Presley. And... Um, there was a guitar that I saw that uh, went for auction. I bid on it, but I got beat out. No, I didn't bid on it because the guitar sold for $1 million. And the guitar is not. The guitar is maybe worth $2,000 as far as its parts. But the guitar went for $1 million because it was owned by Eddie Van Halen. And, and, and the, the point is this. It's not the item that gave it its great value. It is the owner of the item that gave it great value. And listen, if you're a Christian, that means you belong to Jesus, that you have infinite value and worth. So don't look at, for your worth and value in anyone or from anybody else. 
Instead, your value comes from God because you were bought at a price when Jesus died for you and his willingness to die for you shows how much worth and value he sees in you. All right, so all this to set up what happens next when Jesus shows up on the scene. Verse 13, he says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and and, and you're coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Last thing I want to share with you, and that is that baptism means I'm honoring God. There's a couple of questions that the reader should be asking, and this is the point that Uh, that Matthew's making. The first is, why was Jesus baptized? What's he doing here? He has no reason. He's got nothing to repent of. So what's he doing here? I I mean, I feel like when I go, I go out walking in the morning and walk a couple miles a day and I see people who are in good shape uh, running and that bothers me so much. (laughs) It does. And, and, uh, and I just say like, what are you doing here? You know, I see this guy, and I, the people that really bother me are these guys that go running and they leave their house without a shirt on. Like, they already know they're in good shape. That's why they didn't bring a shirt. And I'm like, dude, you're done. Go home. And so the other day, I saw this guy running. And, I mean, he was so slim, I could see his ribs. And I re- my first thought was, man, I haven't eaten ribs in forever. <laughs> and <laughs> so... And my second thought was, there's no more weight to lose. You did it. Go home. If you, had, if you have a picture of a skeleton in your house, you did it. Skeletor from He-Man will be proud. But you did it. So there's no reason to be here. Leave the streets for the rest of us. And so now Jesus gets baptized. Why? He's got nothing to repent of. Three reasons. The first, if you're a note taker, is this, to affirm John's ministry. Jesus wants John to know that his ministry matters and is crucial to what Jesus would ultimately do. The second reason Jesus is baptized is to identify with us, that Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. And he is giving us a pattern of obedience to the Father. And then thirdly, He's baptized to declare his mission. You see, he went into the water to show that he would die. And he comes up out of the water to show that he would rise from the dead. You see, Jesus is baptized and immediately the spirit of God descends in the form of a dove and rests on him. Now, for us, we just read that like, wow, that looks interesting. For the Jewish reader, they would have immediately associated the dove with something that had happened many, many years earlier when the... After the 40 days and 40 nights of the flood, Noah sends a dove out after the flood. He sends it out the first time. It has nowhere to rest uh, because the floodwaters are still over the earth, so he comes back. Noah waits seven days, and he, he sends out the dove again. The second time, the dove comes back with an olive leaf in its mouth, and it rests on Noah. The third time he sends out, seven days later, the dove doesn't return. 
And then we see the dove here resting on Jesus after his baptism. And in the Jewish mind, what would have been thought is this man is trying to save us. Just like the dove rested on Noah, another savior, this man is here to save us. You see, this idea was not lost on the writers of the New Testament. In fact, the apostle Peter, when he's writing his epistle, he says it this way. He says, when, the, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an anti-type which, also, which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then there's this voice that thunders from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's a beautiful picture of the Trinity, the father speaking from heaven, the son coming out of the water and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. But here's what I love most about this picture that we see is that the father is pleased with Jesus before he had begun his ministry. I want you to think about that for a moment. Before Jesus had walked on water or raised the dead, before Jesus had fed 5,000 or cleansed a leper, before Jesus had preached to the multitudes, before Jesus had done anything in ministry, the Father was pleased with him. And this is so important for us. Because a lot of us, let me tell you what we're doing, we're trying to earn God's favor. We're trying to make God love us. We're trying to be good enough so that then God will kind of hook us up with the thing that we want. And here's what you need to know. God already loves you. If you're a Christian, God is already well pleased with you. God knows everything. That means you can't let him down. He already knows. He knew you from eternity past, and he still chose you. So here's the beauty of all of this. It's not about what you do. It's about being connected to him. That's the goal. A few years ago, I had this conversation with my son, because I'm always telling my son that I'm proud of him. And it, it's, it's an important thing that your kids need to hear, by the way. Um, I tell my girls that too, but boys need to hear that from their dad for sure. And uh, my dad was a great guy. My dad died about nine months ago. And, um, and he was an amazing guy. But one of the things that he waited too long was to tell me that. I needed to hear that when I was seven, not when I was 47. And, um, but I told my son one day, he was about seven, and I had told him that I was proud of him. And he said to me, and he said, Dad, you're always telling me that you're proud of me, but I haven't done anything yet. And I said, buddy, I'm not proud of you for what you do. I'm proud of you for who you are. And he's like, oh, I get it. Well, in that case, I'm proud of you too, Dad. <laughs> Thank you very much. But what if instead of spending all this energy trying to make God love us or make God pleased with us? What if we instead spent our energy trying to draw close to him because he already loves us and he's already pleased with us? You know what you'll find? I can assure you of this. You will have so much more joy in your life. And that joy that you have internally, listen, it's going to leak out to everyone. It's going to leak out in your family. It's going to leak out in your relationships and in, in, in the people that you know. And, and I'm telling you that, and we will find the thing that has been eluding us for so long. Peace. We're going to have peace with God and we'll have the peace of God. 
That's why baptism is such, such an easy thing to do, is just drawing close. That's why communion is such an easy thing to do. It's drawing close. It's coming to God honestly and gratefully because he already loves us. That's what communion is all about. It's about coming to the table in humility. That's why the rabbis would teach that when God commanded the Passover meal, that it had to be celebrated with unleavened bread. Because unleavened bread is bread that has not puffed itself up. And that that's how we come to God authentically, owning our mistakes, honestly, and we find joy and peace there, the thing that we've been seeking for so long. We find it. Not seeking his love, not seeking his acceptance, but because we're already loved. Because we're already accepted. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. And they're going to hand out the communion elements. And and my encouragement is that you'd hold on to the elements for just a moment because we're going to partake of communion together. So I'm going to let them hand out the elements as Pastor George leads us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. same manner he took up the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me let's partake of the cup together and Lord we want to thank you for a grace that is amazing for a love that always abounds and a mercy that is new every morning We thank you, God, that we don't have to chase 
your love. We don't have to chase your acceptance, but because of Jesus, we can know that we're loved. We can know that we're accepted. And God, we want to spend all of our energy simply drawing close to you and experiencing all that you have for us. So we thank you, God. And we pray that you would do your good work in us and through us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.